Hello, and welcome to the Box in One podcast, a podcast discussing sports and culture through the lens of the gospel. My name is John Richards, and I'm your co-host today, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Chris Lassiter and Jeremy Hartman. Welcome to episode 13 of the Box in One podcast, where we discuss Christ, sports, and culture through the lens of the gospel. Really excited about this episode. We've been on a little bit of a break, but we are hopping right back in. And I'm here with my co-host, Chris Lassiter, a.k.a. Lass, and my boy Jay Hart, Jeremy Hartman. What's going on, fellas? What up, man? Ain't nothing, man. Ain't nothing. So let me just hop right in, man, and get right to it because we got to talk about this because I felt like I left Jay Hart out last time. First of all, let me just tell our listeners We've been on a break because Hartman decided he wanted to go to the beach for at least three weeks. <laughs> so we were just kind of waiting on him to come back. You know, he was lounging on the beach with his family and, you know, we were patiently waiting. So thank you, brother, for uh, for coming back. Look like you got a little bit of a tan. I'm not yeah, sure. My, about bank, my bank account thanks us, too. So I'm not sure. If I can call you, <laughs> I'm not sure if I can call you mixed chocolate no more. Yeah. That's what's up. So what we did talk about last time is my boy Tim Duncan retiring. And I told Chris Lassiter that I really did believe that Tim Duncan is the best player of his generation, i.e. the late 90s draft class. And included in that class might be somebody that you might think is a little bit better than Tim Duncan. So we thought that it might be a good idea to allow you to chime in, put your 1.5 cents in on this conversation, just in case I may have misspoke by saying that TD might be the best player of his generation. So I got to go to Jay Hart and find out what the deal is. What do you think, man? TD, best player of the generation? Um, you know I'm biased. But I think I think the discussion really only comes down to two people. Like it's either Tim Duncan or Kobe. Like I don't think there's any other. Like I don't think there's anybody else that you're really gonna say is in that conversation. Um, and so, the the fact that both guys won all their rings in one city and stayed with one organization, um, like to me that just makes it that much more special. Um, I'm partial because I'm a Kobe fan, but I also think Tim Dunk is the greatest power forward to ever play the game. So, um, you know, I'll go one and one A. How about that? I'll take the high road. You you bringing out the consolation prize. Like uh, <laughs> Tim Dunk is a great player, but he's the greatest power forward of all time. I didn't ask you that, man. We all know that. Like that's a given unless some people want to make him a center. Like my question is, what is your distinguishing factor? What says – Besides your personal fandom, what says Kobe, given his body of work, is better than Tim Duncan, given his body of work? Uh, what is the one thing that delineates Kobe and separates him as one over one A? Um, because A always signifies that that person is below one. So apparently you feel like Kobe's better. I need to know. What is it besides the J Hart purple and gold Socks, shoes, a shirt, undershirt, <laughs> hat that you got wearing that you're wearing that makes you say Kobe's better. 
It's just personal preference. I prefer guards over post players. <laughs> because you're a guard. Okay. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. but can't we also say that like Kobe at his prime had a near flawless skill set unless you count passing as a skill. Why well, he wouldn't could it pass be a, when he wanted to? Why wouldn't it be a skill for a guard? I, I don't understand that. Like he's really see, a wing. He's really a three. I mean, I guess he's a two, but he's really a three. You ask anybody in basketball fandom if they feel like Kobe's a two or a three, and you probably get ninety nine point eight percent. You get like point two percent of people from Stanton who say he's a three, but <laughs> most everybody else in the country probably is going to say he's a two. But yeah, it's all but good. Those those wing skill sets are so similar. It's just who's running the fast break lane on which side. So, um, but like, right, that is the difference. That Kobe's skill set is near flawless. Like he could do anything in his prime, guard anybody. Like you are paying if you only have money to see one of them in their prime on a regular season game, you're probably going to go pick Kobe every time, just because of the chance of how amazing his skill set was. You have you feel like you have a better chance in one given night to see Kobe do something amazing like score 81 than to see Tim Duncan be consistent, deferring, greatest teammate ever for a superstar, Tim Duncan. I mean, 20 and 12 at 39 is pretty impressive. Not averaging, but, you know, coming out on the court and doing that in a playoff game, I think is pretty, pretty impressive. But, you know, who am I? I'm just Jay Rich, a Spurs fan who just got San Antonio Spurs cufflinks and socks. So, <laughs> you know, can't really uh, can't really say. So Jay Hart, as always, he's he takes the Pauline approach and takes the high road um, <laughs> as opposed to arguing with me about Kobe being the best player of his generation. I understand why you would say that. And I understand your affinity affinity for guards. Um, but I also know that you you do have a deep seated love for Tim Duncan in your heart and the I, Spurs I really, organization. I really do. Like I that Tim Duncan and the Spurs are like Tim Duncan is one of my favorite players, and the Spurs is one of the most respected organizations ever. Um, and I could honestly say, like, if somebody said you have to give up your Laker fandom, and there's you can pick any other team in the league to root for. It would be the Spurs. I would root for the Spurs. Nice. So, I, you know, I can't hate. I love Pop. I love the way they do things. So, but I just bleed purple and gold. So that's crazy. Herman, Herman who is your favorite Spur? <laughs> My favorite Spur. Yeah. Of all time. Yeah. Ooh. Sean Elliott. Nice. I gotta go. I gotta go. David Robinson because he's from VA. Gotta Followed go. by Lloyd Daniels. Lloyd Daniels, wow. Okay, you know a little something. So here's the funny thing, right? It, it only took me 13 episodes to um, proselytize and to convert Jay Hart <laughs> to a Spurs fan. That's, that's evangelism 101, people. I think he's still on the outer court, though. <laughs> hey, as long as, you, as long as you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, he's a Spurs fearer. <laughs> You're in. <laughs> you're you're absolutely in. So he's on the outer court. I, he's a he's what we would call a Spurs fearer, a pop fearer. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say this though. Like I, I spent, I read like two or three articles about Kawhi Leonard um, while we were at the beach, and I do have a newfound respect for him 
um, just his work ethic and just the way he kind of goes about things. And the Spurs were definitely the perfect organization for him. And he's kind of – he fills that gap for Tim Duncan, like the kind of ho-hum superstar. Um, but I just like – I like the way he plays both ends of the court. So um, I like the I way he drive an old car like me. Yes. And don't care. Like, yep, it's paid for. It's still running. That's all I need. Somebody to get me to court and back, I'm good. <laughs> Got to love Kawhi, man. Got to love Kawhi. Well, good, man. Uh, it seems like we got some uh, synergy going here, and, and um, Jay Hart got saved tonight. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next up, we're going to talk about Michael Jordan. And we got a couple of things to talk about, Jordan. And maybe we should just start with the lighthearted one, which is Michael Jordan's still a savage beast at what? How old is he now? Is he 53? Yeah, he may be in his. I know he's in his fifties, but I don't know his exact age right now. But all I know is he still has that savage killer instinct where he broke kids' hearts this week. <laughs> Jay Hart, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, you know, Mike being who Mike is, like he's not taking an L for anybody. So apparently, Chris Paul had a basketball camp, and the deal was, since Chris Paul is a Jordan athlete, the deal was if Mike missed any I was probably six or ten shots um, if Mike it missed any one of those shots every kid in, in the camp got free Jordans free shoes and Mike hit every last one of them and in the last shot like Chris Paul was putting his hands over his face and everything and he made every one so the kids didn't get any free shoes not like Mike couldn't have told Jordan like look just hook the kids up like he's still that savage like he's a killer you don't isn't learn it, today. Isn't this like yeah. isn't this like worse than that Chappelle show episode where he beat the kid in video games, the kid that was in the hospital about to die from cancer <laughs> or something? And he like he like skunked them in Madden or something like that. Like <laughs> I can imagine Jordan doing something like that. You can afford to pay all these kids, pay for all of them to get shoes. But just because somebody challenged you to make all your shots at fifty plus, you go out there and drain all of them. Like nothing, like it's nothing, and your boy Derek, be. and your boy Derek Fisher, who can hit a doggone fadeaway three pointer with point four seconds, can't make a free throw to help the kids <laughs> get shoes. But Jordan's out there draining shots. <laughs> Jordan got to be fifty three. His birthday is February seventeenth, nineteen sixty three. Right. Um, I'm not that much of a Jordan fan to know his exact birthday. I just you know never that had he, an NBA basketball card. I just know he was born. And I don't like the day that he was born. <laughs> I'm not a Jordan fan. Sorry. Bro, he was born. Bro, you ain't had no uh, like Jordan cards growing up. I had basketball a whole bunch cards? of I had a whole bunch of basketball cards. I was that guy who like organized them by team by starting five. So how you don't a, know the birthday of you. the greatest player? What? That that makes no sense. You be doing some confusing things. Like just, a one on the stakes. You don't know Jordan's birthday? Like, I just don't get it. I'm that guy, man. Why should I know Jordan's birthday? That's just that's just strange. That that makes no sense to me. But I'm glad that you knew, and I'm glad that we know that he's 53 now, and that he's an old man still out there, <laughs> still out there breaking kids' hearts at 12 and 13. Way to go, Jordan. Jerk of the year. <laughs> Candidate and winner. <laughs> 
So uh, something a little bit more serious on the Jordan front. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Jordan actually spoke up on the shootings, um, both in the police context and police officers getting shot and then the African-American men getting shot. And he just basically said, I can no longer stay silent about this. So he talked about, you know, his own dad's life being tra- tragically taken. And he seemed really sincere about it. Uh, and he wound up donating to two different organizations, including, I think, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and then another fund that supports cops as well. So he was kind of playing that middle ground there. And I believe he donated a million dollars to each organization. So the question becomes, was that a little bit too diplomatic for Jordan? Like, here's here's the essence of the question, okay? Was Jordan black enough in what he, <laughs> what he said? Or was he, was, he playing, was he riding that fence? That's all I need to know. Was he black enough? Or was the, the comment or the statement that he made just something that, you know, Jordan did because that's what Jordan does? I'll tackle it first, man. All right. So, I mean, I have I have a lot of thoughts, man. Um, obviously, Jordan is still probably the most recognizable figure in the world, right? And it's easy for us to throw stones at him. Um, one of the things that kind of frustrates me is um, why everybody wants Jordan to do everything, but nobody wants to get personally involved. Like, to be honest, a million dollars isn't a lot of money to Michael Jordan, like it would be to the rest of us. But just, I only want to hear the complaints on the financial front from the people who donated a similar percentage of their own income. You see what I'm saying? Like, hey, if that's a nickel for you (laughs) compared to Jordan's millions or something, like, I don't mind, like, honest, fair criticism, like, when he messes up. But just like to make him live in a fishbowl at the same time where we remain uninvolved on issues or like haven't reached in our own pockets ever to give financially to that. And just how like I also think about like how hard it is to live a consistent life, like at what line like and this would go to like a theological ethic class. But like at what point like do you need to be involved in where your shoes are made and branded. Like, obviously, I think we would all like to think that if Jordan is, like, repping a brand and that's a big part of his popularity after basketball, um, that those shoes are being produced in an ethical way, you know? And I think that's been some of the feedback, too, is like, hey, what about where your shoes are made? Like, when are you going to speak to that? Because you haven't, and this is the thing that you're getting rich off of. And I'm just thinking like, like, so to me, it's just caused me to wrestle personally with like, like, how do you make sure you're consistent in issues? So Hmm. that's kind of where I land. Like, I understand some of the criticism, but I get frustrated where it's just criticism with nobody willing to like get involved other than to just play armchair quarterback, so to say, about what Jordan's doing. So, Um, you know, it was interesting. And I think I had sent you guys this text as I was listening to uh, Bomani Jones um, and he was talking about when Jordan made the statement and he was like, he was livid. He was literally mad on the air because he felt like the statement was prepared and he felt like it was an old media trick um, because when he mentioned 
you know, the black folks that were killed, he said, you know, he was like, oh, it was their deaths. Like, they weren't murdered. But when he talked about the police, it was like they were killed. Like, you know, they were murdered. Um, and he, like, he was pretty upset because he felt like it gave more credence to the fact that police officers were murdered than, you know, anybody in the African-American community. Uh, and he felt like that was a prepared statement and that Mike just read it. And, um, like, he felt like he did the typical Mike Jordan thing and never really took a side, just kind of played the fence because, you know, as he said, Republicans buy shoes, buy sneakers too. So, um, I, I, when I first heard the statement, I was glad he spoke up. And like Carmelo said, like, he's kind of the face of our generation, like, especially for athletes, um, for him to speak up and say something, especially with what happened with his dad. Um, you know, I, I just, we don't know that man's heart. Um, we hope he did it for the right reasons. We hope he did take a stand and, and is doing it um, to make a difference, but we'll never know. And I'm not going to sit here and cast stones because I don't have a million dollars to give. So, um, you know, I just hope that his heart is in the right place and I hope it makes a difference and there is some kind of uh, change or positive outcome from it. Yeah. Republicans buy shoes too. But do they? So do 13-year-old kids in South Chicago who can't afford them and then people wonder why we have such economic disparity in our country because we're standing in lines for $200 pair of shoes on the release date to purchase them. Um, I mean, I, I think that there's a, there's a, there's some social responsibility that as Chris mentioned that I much rather see on that end, like to give $2 million. Yeah. It's like the widows might, right? Like, she she gave out of her poverty and obviously you know he's a multi-millionaire um two million dollars is going to help those two organizations but from a practical perspective like i much rather him grab the mic and be like look we're not going to do this whole release date thing where there's potential for violence like i want to speak up against the violence people buying my shoes and i think that that's one of the issues that people who are socially conscious wants want to see from him as opposed to, you know, kind of this walking the line of not stepping on any toes. Is that something we should expect from our superstar athletes or our faces in the back black community? We've talked about this before and I say yes. I still say yes. Um, and I'm glad that he said something. But my question always is, like, is that enough? And not only is that enough, but is that the right thing or is that the right approach? Um, so that's always been my that was my reservation when I first heard it. I wasn't mad that he gave money to both those organizations. I'm pretty sure they both needed it. Um, but at the same time, I'm looking like, hey, man, what about the urban context and what are we doing directly there? And. You know, again, don't want to cast any stones because I'm pretty sure I could be doing more um, or I could be supporting causes more in that area. Although I do support some, but it just felt like it was kind of, you know, just the thing to say and do right then uh, for PR. And I hate to say that, but that's my yeah. feeling. <laughs> well, at the at the end of the day. Like I'm Tim Keller and this isn't like a perfect correlation, but Tim Keller talks about like if you want like the gospel to like 
speak to your greed, you have to give at a point where it hurts. So like he can't tell you an amount, but he says if you want it to speak to your greed, it has to be where you can feel it. You know what I'm saying? So um, when somebody comes out and speaks out, um, kind of how we can measure how much it meant to that person is what they were willing to sacrifice to make their voice heard. You know what I'm saying? So when he comes out and he doesn't, like it doesn't really cost him anything to make those statements. I can see why people are questioning. So I get that. You know what I'm saying? Like if Jordan, if you really want to come out and say something, like you're going to get criticism for it. Are you willing to pay that price? Because the financial price is very easy for you to pay. Like having your name tarnished or attached to something like other, like people in the past, like a Jim Brown, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, where you're kind of made a scapegoat or outcast from your sport for letting your voice be heard. How far down the road do you want to go there? I understand people asking that question, but at the same time, when you're asking the question, I just want to see people personally involved, not just asking the question to him. Cause it's bigger. It's a bigger problem than Jordan can solve. Yeah. Yeah. And I re I recently skimmed on an article that talked about just that. I think the, the author was talking about how he always was wishing that Eminem would get saved. And like he was hoping that he would so that he could impact way many more lives. And he just kind of went through the biblical theme of God using the weak things of the world to confound the wise and, and the little person to Im make greater impact. And I think mm -hmm. you know, just along those same lines, like we really can't expect the celebrities to um, transmit the gospel because the gospel always went through vessels that were the least expected for it to go through. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. and we create those expectations of folks that we don't even realize that, hey, it's in your, the word is in your mouth. Like that gospel message is in your mouth and making those small incremental changes are going to be things that, that like that mustard seed that really springs up into this huge, um, huge endeavor for God. And just realizing that is, is something that's been helpful for me just to say, OK, like this is a celebrity, but hey, we all have a purpose to do something with the gospel in this world. No, no matter how small, quote unquote, it is. Yeah. I think about Mace, you know, like we've seen the hip hop celebrity like get out, go on the quote unquote ministry and like then decide like, hey, like I'm going back to hip hop or whatever he was doing. And not even back in hip hop as a missionary or like as a Christ follower, just like, hey, I'm going back to hip hop. So God's got his people and they'll do his work. Um, so hopefully it doesn't all fall on us looking to Jordan's shoulders. Amen. Um, speaking of God's got his people and they're doing his work, we're actually, um, starting a fund starting tonight on the podcast for, um, uh, my man Jay Hart to come to legacy conference next year. It's called get Jay Hart the legacy. And uh, it's going to be GoFundMe. We'll put a nice little picture of him standing with the basketball in his hand with short shorts on as a kid. And, Doing uh, a sky hook. Just make him look needy. 
because we gotta <laughs> get him the legacy next year. <laughs> <laughs> so the legacy conference happened about you know going on uh, a couple of weeks ago now, and the Lassiters came up to visit a brother, and I appreciate them for for coming up this way to take part not only in the legacy conference but just to, to chop it chop it up with me in the little soul taco joint um, as we talked about life ministry and just just legacy in general so i guess i want to just ask you Silas, what what was one of your major takeaways from the legacy conference i know you posted for the first time on instagram in like eight months um a photo that's not, of that's not my social media app man. <laughs> that's not my a, app of choice a photo of the cross movement reunion concert it seemed like that was really visceral for you in terms of like being able to remember you know how much of an impact they've had on you i'm not sure if that's it but just wanted to touch base with you and see what your takeaways were for the the conference um i'll I just say really quickly um one of the things that was just like and I, we talked about this walking down Chicago Ave, but one of the small things, the Hottie Lewis in one of the breakout sessions, in the first one he says, the hope for the city isn't gentrification, but it's the gospel um, made visible through the local church. And so many times, like I've heard people say, yeah, the answer is the gospel, but they've never taken like that. How do we make that applicable? Yes, the answer is the gospel, but the gospel is the answer how, you know? And so for the rest of my life, I probably will never be able to separate those two statements again. So that was just like an aha moment for me. Um, just from a my standpoint, when I became a Christian, I was thinking like, oh, like <clears throat> all I knew was the traditional black church experience. I was like 22. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be really able to just hang like leave my crew and go hang with people that are all in their mid fifties and like wear choir robes on Sunday. That just doesn't seem like me. I was bought up by hip hop. Like I really didn't understand what it looked like to live out the Christian life and be me. Um, and so just for them to have a theological approach to the urban context was life giving to me. It wasn't just CDs for me. If they spoke at a college, I would call the college and order the CDs of what they spoke about. So they really had a formative influence when I was still wet clay on how I was going to live the Christian life. So I feel indebted to them to some level. Knew all the words to the songs at the concert, of course. But really, for me, it was way more than music. So that probably was the biggest thing. And getting to go with my wife, man. That's always huge. I've been twice without her, but it's always better when I get to go to Legacy and she's with me. So. Yo, see last using the wet clay word picture. Like you saw him being wet clay, being shaped. <laughs> that's that's really cool, man. That's that came from Tim cool. Keller too, Center Church. So that's all, that's all right, man. That's all right. That's all right. That means you're reading, reading deeply. So try, um, so Jay Hart, man, for real, for real. Next year we gotta get you get you down the legacy, man. It it definitely was a blessing for me. I was only there for one day. Um, and then a portion of that day, um, I had a lot going on around that time. So I wasn't able to make both days, but it's always good to see all the brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, just that one moment for me was it was in the workshop that I was teaching. And I appreciate uh, C-Last for rolling through um, the workshop at the latter portion of it. It's just seeing people get it. So I was teaching on hermeneutics and 
historical context and word studies and just having people understand like this is important for understanding the text that you read um having them dive into the historical context of a passage in philippians and doing some practical work with some of the tools i gave them that was life-giving for me because i'm a teacher i love teaching and um it was just good to to, to be there and and to have have the folks say oh that's what that means in that context so that was great man it was good, to, good so to be with the team. when i got jay jay hart when i got to the end of jay rich's class i promise you yeah it looked like we was at a smack battle people was jumping out their chairs i said yo <laughs> it was it was cool for me to see i was like it was a proud moment for me as a fellow podcast i was like my podcast homie like He's doing work, but like what he's really doing is getting people hyped on the word of God, like not at himself, mm-hmm. but he's pointing people to Christ. And they're like, like you can see the scriptures opening up to them. And it really felt like it was a smack battle, but it really was a Bible study. I've never seen anything like this in my life. <laughs> I was so weak. That's great, man. That's great. No, I just, I enjoyed it, man. And looking forward to, to coming back. I love teaching hermeneutics and love seeing people, seeing scripture open up to people. I mean, I like taking the tools that I've learned and, and being able to share that with others without having to pay thousands of dollars in seminary money um, to do it. So, so it's a blessing, man. And uh, next year for sure. And we're getting in that three on three tournament. So y'all get your oh. mind right. Oh, we might have to do that. And oh. then we need a team name. What's our team name going to be? I don't know, Is man. Is this going to be Boxing One? It, it got to be something, man. But we got to go out there and be legit, man. I'm like, I, the, you guys are two college players, okay? So we can't go out there and take no L's. You did say X in front of college, right? Well, whatever. You played in college, okay? All I need to know is, are y'all going to play with the Rec League All-Star like we're trying to win that ship? Of course we're going to win. You know who my favorite player is. Who was that? Kobe Bean Bryant. Trash. Listen, if, I'm li- if I'm playing with Kobe, if I'm playing with a Kobe apologist, I don't think we're gonna get too far. Oh no, I got that killer in me. I got that killer in me. Oh boy, you know what that means? Chucking shots. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna try to say this nicely, man. But like some of our favorite theologians and hip hop artists are most in their lane when they're doing their craft. And I'm Basically, not sure they trans- all in their lane when they play in basketball. <laughs> Basically, you call all of them out as being trash on the basketball court. So, nah, I hope all so y'all, listen. I hope all y'all heard that, all y'all Christian hip-hop artists. Don't play in any Legacy 3-on-3 tournament. So the first year I went, they used to have, like, where you could go to a gym and just play pickup between sessions. So I walk over there with a with a um, guy. Everybody would know his name. I was just I just met him, so we walked over. He played basketball college, so did I. We walked over, watched the pickup games for about three minutes, and then just said, "Yeah, let's go eat." Yeah, it was, it, it was uh, it it wasn't great basketball, but there were great people there. So, ooh, so diplomatic. Hey, yeah. uh, if you're listening, ambassador. <laughs> no, I'm I'm nah, I know he can hoop. He from VA. He went to uh, Booker T. Washington in Norfolk, right down the street from my sister' old house. Wow. 
So here we go, man. Next year, we're booking this Legacy Reunion, Boxing One Reunion um, at the Legacy Conference, and we hooping, too. So bring your shoes, homies. All right. Yeah, well, we I just got to think of a I team name. I with shoes in my car. We just going to hey, call. we got to think of a team name. Can we throw that out to the podcast? We, just we gonna need be, a team name. We just going to be the Spurs. Yeah, I figured that. Just vanilla, plain. Jay Hart has now conversation. Throw the ball on we the just, post. So we just go. We just go and run an offense the whole time. Jay Hart, throw the ball on the post. The end. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this segment of our show is called "Sorry We Missed That." And for new listeners, it basically is a segment that says, "Oh man, I wish we had this podcast around this year because." This is just crazy, and we're sorry we missed that. We want to have a conversation about it. So this is a throwback joint, okay? Uh, We're going back to game five of the Western Conference Finals. I think it was around 2010, if I'm correct. And your boy, Jay Hart. Jay Hart's boy. I refuse to call him Meta World Peace. His name is Ronald (laughs) Artest in my book. And he's interviewed viewing with your boy Craig Sager who uh, who has colorful jackets for days and in the interview he says Sage say Queens Bridge and Sage obliges <laughs> and says Queen he knows he ain't never been to Queens Bridge a day in his life and he's repping Queens Bridge that's like a crip coming up to him talking about say cuz say cuz cuz <laughs> Sage represented Queens Bridge that day man that's what's up, man. What do you guys think about the Ron Artest, Craig Sager uh, confrontation or conversation that night after Ron Artest had a good game, okay game against the Suns? He hit the game winning shot. Yeah, I was just going to let me. And he was so hyped, too. Like, like, it was the greatest thing ever since sliced bread. Like, just to see him in that interview. And Craig Sager was like, look at that. I'm kind of puzzled. Like, wait a minute, what? Like, is this really where we're taking this? But, you know, we are talking about the same guy who asked for a couple weeks off during the season to promote his his album. So um, I'm not surprised by anything Ron Artest would do. Is is Ron Artest the most mentally unstable player of all time? I don't know. So I heard it used to be this dude named um, Vincent Askew that used to play in the league. And cats just say people just ain't mess with them at all. <laughs> like, like it's some people you might run up on in the heat of a moment, but he was never that guy. Like, you never forgot that you couldn't run up on Vincent Askew. <laughs> like, and I don't know if that's true or not, but that was just always what I heard about the league is like, hey, you might see Barkley and Shaq like act like they about to fight. It wasn't no acting like you about to fight when he was in there. So I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I heard. So. <clears throat> Wow. Jay Hart, would you would you agree or would you do you think Vincent Askew is the craziest person or um, do you have any other candidates for this title? Oh, man, I don't know. Like, I'm sure there's been like some crazier people in the league. But as far as being crazy and embracing it, I don't know. Ron takes the cake. And like, I think that was the beautiful thing about it was that. Ron was just like, I am who I am. Like, right. Like, you're not going to change me. Like, I'm Queensbridge to the fullest. I'm still going to take care of my boys. 
I'm still going to make a record label. Um, we still doing this. So, <clears throat> all right. But listen, like we also remember that he applied at Circuit City, right? And told him he could only work Sundays. And the Bulls asked him why he applied. And he said he needed the discount on the stereo equipment. <laughs> and that when Jordan started to try to laugh at that joint, that he broke Jordan's ribs in that pickup game. And um, I think in that same article, and I could be wrong here, but that he had the rapper Nature from the firm on his payroll when he was a rookie for his, like, rap teacher. So, but, like, give our test credit here. Um, you know, when he noticed that, like, hey, I might have some mental instability issues. I don't know if you guys remember, but after they won that championship, he talked a lot about going to therapy and how much it helped his life. And think about all the kids from inner cities who see so much and have so much post-traumatic stress disorder of other things just from growing up such a rough environment. Um, for him to come out and say, like, hey, like, I'm just going to wear this like a badge of honor. Like, yeah, some things might not be all the way, like, right. And I needed to get some help. So shout out to my therapist. But, like, I respect them for that. I don't respect him for Askoff for a month from the Pacers to promote his album, especially when his album wasn't hot. So like, for uh, real. <laughs> and I mean, here's 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 the 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 moment for me where I was like, "Yep, this is him, number one all time, and and no one else is even close." Like he forgot who he was and where he was in the palace. <laughs> like. <laughs> That whole one minute, two minute clip is like, oh my goodness, man, this dude is really like he don't care at all. Like I was like, that's it. He's he is the most mentally unstable man. But you heard what he said in the locker room after that, right? I don't care what anybody did, said, or anything else. Oh yeah. This this just like this just proves your point though. You know they just had this malice in the palace. He asked his teammates, do you think we're going to get fined? (laughs) (laughs) Now, that is great. I didn't know that that happened. But, dude, are you serious? Fined? (laughs) Yes. That just, yeah, that definitely just makes my point. So, congrats, Ron Artest. You have won the title for most mentally unstable person in the NBA. You know, I was going to go with somebody else who was a little bit less well known because he handled it well, but uh, Chris Jackson. Oh, oh yeah. Um, you know he had his was more medical. The yeah. Condition, yeah, and he did a great job of pretty much handling that. So, shout out to Chris Jackson, aka Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Love that dude, man. Um, dude was a killer. He was a killer coming out of LSU. Yes, sir. Nuggets. So. Shout out to Chris Jackson, man. All right, so we're going to finish our podcast. Man, I'm so excited, man. We went back into the podcast and just knocked it out uh, talking about what we're reading and what we're listening to. And this is the segment where we just share with our listeners uh, some of the things that we're listening to and some of the things that we're reading um, over the past week, past couple of weeks. And I'll just start by saying what I've been listening to because it's been really cool. I heard uh, another pastor on a podcast talking about some of the podcasts that he listens to. 
And one of them is called This American Life. And I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that. But the show is just phenomenal. It's phenomenal. He said he gets a lot of his illustrations from there. Um, but it's basically a show that takes like little known factoids and just runs with them. I'm listening to one now called Captain's Log, which was basically prompted by, you know, the Star Wars um, statement of Captain Log number 111. They actually went back and looked at Captain's Logs from different events in history um, where one of them was where, where the U-boats sunk that big ship, what is it, the Lusitania, um, and looked at the German Captain's Log as the, the ship was going down. Um, and it was just really interesting to kind of hear that story from that perspective. So love that podcast, man. I've been listening to it for a week now and I've, I've done about three, four episodes. So, so it's been great, man. It's been great. Um, anything you guys have been listening to? Listening to was two EPs that just came out. Um, Derek Minor dropped his, it's on Apple music. I don't know if you guys have Apple music. I think it's on Spotify too. Um, I've been listening to that and listening to Gavi's EP, Lost and Hughes, um, the techno, Christian techno album of the year. <laughs> um, Wait, when you had to go, when you got to scale the co- the categories all the way down to like Christian techno, <laughs> 88 beats per minute album of the year, it's like, what? <laughs> it's an acquired thing um and i think part of it comes from and don't laugh because not too many people know this um part of it comes from when i was in the fitness industry and i had to teach aerobics classes and the music that we had to listen to (laughs) the tempo had to be so high so now anytime i hear music like that like i just really get into it um did you just tell us not to laugh wait you're gonna drop bombs like that at the end of the podcast yeah, yeah. And tell yeah, us not so to laugh. Can, this dude taught aerobics, man. Yes. Yeah, oh, and then epi- tell us not to laugh. Coming in episode 14. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. I appreciate that, Jay Hart. Taking one for the team. Appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> um, you know, so that's what I've really been listening to. And I appreciate Derek Miner's approach. Because um, I think, like, sometimes there will be there will be times that I'm struggling with some, some issues and like all of a sudden he drops a track and I'm like, yo, he's feeling the same way I feel. Um, so it lets me know that yes, the struggle is real and there are other people out there, but I really appreciate what he's doing with his music. So that's what I'm listening to right now. Love Derek Miner. Um, for me, what I'm listening to, um, three things real fast, four, 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 got to do four real fast though. Um, one, I'm listening to my man, Andrew Russell. So he's a good brother. His wife is from state and he's was down in Dallas finishing up Redeemer Seminary. Now he's um, getting ready to move to D.C. as part of a pastoral internship, I believe, church planning, worship leading. But he has a CD out called I Am Who I Am, EP, dope project, kind of like a worship thing, but a lot of Caribbean flavor. He's from the Bahamas. Um, listening to Tony Tillman. Um, Derek Miner's label mate, his CD Camden. I love that CD. Uh, he used to be a crip. Now he's a believer. And um, the album is just dope. It just kind of chronicles that journey. 
and I love the project. Um, he did a great job with it, taking different angles, stuff. Um, <clears throat> I'm also listening to Jason Project. It just, I love it. It just sounds good in cars, and a lot of theological truth in it. But it's just a great project. It's fun to listen to. And then sermon-wise, um, Brian Dye, who helps does a lot of the putting on of Legacy, the other day on Instagram posted up um, that he was going back through Tom Skinner's 1970 Urbana Conference um, speech called U.S. Racism and World Evangelization, and it was amazing. I had read a couple of chapters in a book called Reconciliation Blues about that moment, but I didn't know that you could go back and listen to the sermon, and it was crazy to think that that was given in 1970, and it sounded so much like stuff that's going on today. Um, it was great, so that's what I've been listening to. Good stuff, man. Reconciliation Blues. Shout out to former colleague Ed Gilbert, the homie, um, and the Boxing One podcast. Yeah, that is. That is. Yes. And the Boxing One podcast, the only place where you'll get two Crip references in one episode. How about that? <laughs> All right. That's been episode 13 of the Boxing One podcast. We appreciate you guys for joining us. Make sure you go and rate, review our podcast on iTunes, as well as follow us on Twitter at Boxing One Podcast. We look forward to seeing you guys next go round. Until then, peace out.